Welcome to episode 148 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. How are you doing, John? I'm doing good. Today we're going to chat a little bit about the cutting edge of genomic science, specifically about uh, what can be seen in you know, a very controversial way. We're going to discuss cloning and in this case, the cloning of animals to save species that may go extinct. That's a pretty specific topic there, John. Yeah. I, so, so, or rather, that's the topic that, that's engendering this larger conversation about, about genomics, cloning, and, and extinction. Uh, but the, the news story that generated uh, that topic for us was a, uh, a, a lab in Seoul, Korea, uh, led by a uh, controversial uh, scientists plans to move from cloning pets. So, so you you might have a beloved pet uh, who you want to continue to accompany you and be with you and your family. They they can clone those now, and they're going to move from cloning pets uh, to cloning um, animals that are on the verge of extinction. So, let's start with cloning pets. What do you think of that? So, I think. Well, first, when, when I was reading the news story, because I'm not uh, immediately aware of all the advances in cloning, I, I was kind of shocked that you could actually do that. The, the, the technique is called somatic cell nuclear transfer, and you extract the nucleus of a skin cell uh, from the animal that you want to clone, and you put it into an egg where the nucleus is removed. So... That's kind of freaky. This this is so I I don't know what you read as as a uh, teenager, but I read a lot of Stephen King. Okay, which might say a lot about me, but but regardless, I read a lot of Stephen King, and he has this novel called Pet Cemetery, and it's all about this uh, spooky burial ground where people take their beloved pets and they go and they bury them, and then a couple days later, pop. You know, they come out and these uh, cats and dogs show up, but they're not right, right? They're, they're freaky resurrected pets, right? And then so mayhem ensues, and that's Pet Cemetery. Hey, there were, ho, let's go. There, there were movies, uh, at least one movie about that. Um, so, so what we have here, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but it's, it's, it's kind of similar. You're taking the skin cell from your, your, uh, your pet that you love so much, and you're creating more or less... The pet again, and they have some photos on the new scientist site of uh, some of these pets, and and the the reporter's comment on it was it was a little freaky because some of these cloned pets have the same mannerisms, right? So they have a couple cloned dogs there, and they have you know very similar mannerisms, uh, which uh, you know they they're both sort of doing at roughly the same time, which 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 kind of freaked the reporter out, but. All of that is to say that that is technology, number one, that I didn't know really existed beyond sort of the stage of, if you remember, Dolly, the, the sheep that got the cloned, maybe, maybe it was like a decade ago now. More than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, from what I understood, Dolly was not a healthy kind of sheep because the DNA was at a stage where uh, it had degraded uh, a certain amount and, and so was not... Um, 
behaving like the DNA would for a young sheep. So they had a young sheep with old DNA. That didn't sound to me to be a, a good fit. And, and you know, these, these clones had all sorts of problems. So, uh, you know, I'm not familiar with, you know, what, what the scenario is now and whether they've figured out some of those, those problems going forward. But, but wow, you know, uh, to have these, these pets, I mean, that's, that's sort of a desire that people have is, boy, I, I wish I could continue onward. I wish life, you know, that, that things weren't mortal, right? It's like this weird unveiling of, of a kind of immortality, um, so, so, so I do run, wonder if there's degraded DNA in the, in these clone pets, but I, I think you can take from my long diatribe that I'm a little disturbed by it. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just not, uh, sophisticated enough to understand what the, uh, implications are, but, but I'm a little unnerved by it all. Uh, your turn. Yeah. I mean, you know, back in the old country, they call it simulacra. I mean, look, John, uh, I'm not really unnerved by it. I'm, I'm more curious about it, which is to say, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential data here to tell us about life and death. And, um, I, you know, we have these sort of anecdotal things about the people saying, oh, it has some of the same mannerisms, yada, yada, yada. What I would be interested in is a serious scientific study on every owner, as many owners as you can get to consent, of cloned pets providing voluminous data on similarities and differences across a whole wide vector of things. You know, what, what's the delta between a clone from a skin cell um, and the original being? Um, we can't ask the dogs and cats if they uh, have memory. We can't right. ask them if that skin cell somehow um, gives them the memories of the original being. We'll assume not, but we don't know for sure. Um, but I want data. I want to know how much of the, the the existence of that thing, of that original being, has carried forward through this cloning process. I think that's incredibly interesting. But I don't think these anecdotal comments without scientific rigor matter for anything. I mean, you know, just because the dog, you know, scratches its ear the same way the other mm. one did, I, I don't know that that tells us much. And there's also not a lot of good control over nature-nurture um, issues. You know, maybe pets behave a certain way because of the environment and the way that they're treated. So I, I think I think there's more questions than answers, but there are questions I'm very curious about. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, unless unless there's something problematic with this, um, this technology, even the right word, this stuff's all so confusing in a certain way. Um, you know, unless there's problems with this technology, which would result in you know, screwing up the gene pool and having unanticipated longer-term effects, does it really matter whether the cell that creates a being came from, um, you know, a sperm or a skin cell or an egg? Um, you know, there, there's the whole nature. Well, one is natural, one's not. Well, I don't know. I mean, my skin cell is every bit as natural as my little sperm. Um, it's just that we're using, you know... Uh, using the skin cell in ways that um, the way that our species has evolved to this point isn't naturally a process to create another being. But does that make it wrong? Does that make it bad? No, no, not not inherently so. So I think I think we just need more data. We need to really understand what we're dealing with here as um, as we get further and further into cloning. Yeah, I think whenever. 
What, what, what amazes me, uh, firstly, about, about these areas of emerging technology is, is the speed at which they are, are moving towards commercialization. So it's, it, I mean, it's a revelation to me that, that, that this is now a service that you can, you can buy. You know, it's, it's 2016. Um, I suppose that in, in the back of my mind, you know, maybe I would have considered that when, when reading about, about Dolly, the cloned sheep, but, but not in a serious way. Um, of course, it, it's not a widely available service, and, you know, you can't just go to the, the vet and say, hey, I'd really like a copy of my, you know, beloved dog who, you know, is now uh, too old and we need to put down. But you, you can see that we're beginning... Uh, uh, to see this wave come in of of these types of services, which quite frankly seemed along the lines of you know science fiction not too long ago, so so that the speed of of adoption and commercialization uh, is is always you know surprising to me whether it should be or or not. Uh, so so let's turn now a little bit. You know, before we turn, I mean, so the speed of commercialization I would say is surprising to me as well, but. The fact that it's happening isn't. I mean, when the Dolly story first broke, and I think it was 20 years ago, um, I mean, I immediately took for granted that very soon humans would be cloned in laboratories and places that we couldn't see or wouldn't hear about. Like, we're being naive if we don't think that shortly on the heels of Dolly, there were, um, you know, rogue scientists, perhaps even you know, in a black ops sort of way, um, endorsed by governments, but in, in very secretive fashion, who were experimenting with pets and humans and, and pushing it right to the limit. Um, I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure it's happening. I'm sure there's a lot of data on human cloning that's in some weird pockets of the, the black scientific community. And um, the only question is, um, when is that going to break surface and what's that going to look like? Um, but the speed of commercialization, I mean, that does surprise me a little bit more. Although, I mean, to be fair, you know, it's happening in South Korea. They're very progressive technologically. Mm-hmm. I think here in the United States, um, if that was a service, if there were TV commercials, I think we'd have some problems. Oh, yeah. I think I think there would be some uh, Donald Trump voters out there who would not be very happy with, <laughs> with what was going on. <laughs> yeah, I could see the picket line now. So... So I, I I was reflecting that uh, part you know part of this story is of course the idea that we can use cloning to bring uh, certain animals back from the brink of extinction and and I think there's an interesting uh, uh, for lack of a better term uh, you know system design question there because you know. The, the proponents of cloning say, uh, okay, you know, we, we can create more of these species and, and therefore, uh, you know, greater populations and, and uh, they'll interbreed and, and, and it will be fine. The, uh, the folks who oppose this say, look, the real problem is that we're crushing their environments and, and uh, reducing the amount of land that they have for their habitat and uh, you know they they can't find food to eat, so that's the real problem there. I mean, that's uh, we're we're talking about you know a a system design problem. Insofar as uh, if the environmental issues were addressed, you might not need to introduce uh, this this uh, cloning technique uh, to preserve the species. 
and uh, you know using technology sort of as a, as a band aid to um, to solve something that could be handled and probably should be handled in a more responsible manner by you know preserving these habitats. So so I think this is actually a very good example of uh, how you know a system design perspective. Uh, could bring some some further clarity to to the issue, you know whether or not uh, that's possible in in this particular circumstance. You know is, you know that that's an open question. But I think there's there's a set of technologies coming on that are going to have uh, massive opportunity to impact uh, uh, you know problems like this that you know we had never considered before. You know using cloning to prevent extinction. And I think there is going to be an area of design that that sort of rises up to, to meet this challenge. Uh, and, and I, for one, am, am interested uh, in where this all will go. Dirk, what's your, your take on the uh, extinction versus cloning question? Well, I think it's sort of a false dichotomy. And, you know, I, I, think, I think the bigger question is, um, d- does extinction matter? So... You know, over the course of the history of this planet, um, huge numbers of animals have, have become extinct. Um, I don't know if it's in the millions, certainly in the many, many thousands. Um, but um, species become extinct. Um, we now, you know, and, and I'm certainly liberal, but I'm going to take a little bit of issue with, with liberals here. You know, we in, in, on the liberal side are very quick to condemn any time that human... Um, action and infiltration results in the extinction of a species, right? But the extinction of species is something that happens in the normal course of time, um, long periods of time in many different species. And so I I think it's a little, um, I think it's a little arrogant that we particularly focus on a, the species that we're killing. Like there's something inherently bad with some random species X being killed, you know, becoming becoming extinct. Now, there may be some ecological argument that there's a particular species that are vital to the food chain or vital to the the, the system, um, but I'm not I'm not smart enough to to or certainly not well educated in these areas enough to pick through that and and make those distinctions. But we don't look at it that way. We have this blanket. Oh my God, the the wildebeest cat from Nairobi is becoming extinct batten down the hatches and that's just silly in a certain way i mean everything dies right um everything dies at the end of the day so to me the whole premise of oh well we have to save all of these species and do whatever we can and use cloning or whatever means is is just sort of silly and you know bringing back old species you know there's the alarmists who are like oh my god you know uh, it's like the Jurassic Park chaos theory thing, right? You know, we don't know what's going to happen. Oh, it's it's just so unbelievable. I mean, yeah, you know, if we if we bring back a Tyrannosaurus Rex, it maybe we'll create some trouble for ourselves. Right. But if we bring back again Nairobi wildcat, whatever, I mean, I don't think we're in too much danger. You know, there's there's always a hue and cry, whether it be pythons in the Everglades or um, you know Chinese carp in the Great Lakes of infiltration of non-native species and and it's the end of the world and you know the world doesn't seem to be ending the everglades and the great lakes seem to be okay and uh, and not to be too too insensitive to the whole thing but i think we just 
we just need to step back a little and and uh, just kind of get rid of our sense of self-importance of you know if the behaviors of humanity are moving animals around are making animals extinct um, you know there might be examples where that's a really bad thing but more often than not um, I don't think it's really the end of the world I think that it's it's um, life playing out as life plays out and we're the apex predator that is um, definitely taking over the world in a certain way. Um, and, and so taking this then to the whole conversation of, is it cloning or is it, you know, addressing the human, again, the human infiltration of, of natural environments. Look, we're going to keep infiltrating the natural environments. That's not slowing down anytime soon. The human population continues to increase our addiction to capitalism and technology and all of these things that are about um, uh, obliterating the natural world and replacing it with something that's that's human made and controlled only continues to increase. I mean, barring massive um, ecological change and or um, really impactful um, terrorism or war, none of this is going to change. We're going to keep plodding down this path. And so to me, the whole conversation is just stupid. I mean, if, you know, if somebody can make a case that there are certain animals that for specific reasons should be um, not extinct, then great, you know, or if they're cloning people who just say, hey, this cat is really freaking cool looking and I want to make a clone of one and stick it in a zoo. Fine. I mean, whatever. Um, but uh, to me, the whole the whole nature of this overblown conversation is is arrogant, if not narcissistic, and focused on entirely the wrong things. So I do think that that generally speaking, from uh, that the argument for biodiversity, in other words, no one specific species going extinct, but the 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 idea that uh, we are tied to our environment in ways other that than than we can fully grok um uh rings true to me so you know i it rings I, true to me too as i'm not a biologist or uh an ecologist as as you pointed out however um i i would uh i wouldn't hesitate to uh to think that you know there's ample evidence that that in order f- to have systemic balance, human beings certainly can't be um, uh, you know living in isolation from all these other uh, creatures. For instance, we know very well that our microbiome is vital to our our own sort of personal ecology, right? Um, you know, and extrapolating from that fact that you know we work with other creatures, you know, even in our own bodies. Um, I, I, I do think there's a biodiversity uh, uh, argument to be made there, although I'm certainly not the one who should be making it. Yeah, I mean, these things all make sense in, in theory and in the aggregate, but when it converts to people having outrage over the extinction of this species just ignorantly, I I don't know. I think a lot of what we do is is ignorant as opposed to informed and I'm not seeing a lot of evidence um, from the scientists who speak up and ring the alarm of past catastrophes that would speak to um, what their their claims are. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, 
So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you are listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R, or email me Dirk at GoInvo.com. So that's it for episode 148 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.